Well, good morning, uh, C4 Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, C4 Church. Very good. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And what an amazing start to our service. Child dedication, baptisms, like just uh, unbelievable, exciting. And we want to thank you again for your continued prayers and thinking as God is doing uh, new things among us. If you've got your Bible this morning, I'd love you to open it physically, virtually, whatever you use, even an Android, as Joanna said, whatever you got, uh, it's all good. We'd love you to turn to the book of Philippians uh, near the end of the New Testament, and we're going to uh, get into this today. I think all of us would agree that when you go to a restaurant or you go to a hotel, one of the great things that makes the experience the experience is service. Wouldn't you agree? Raise your hand if you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. When you go and you're served really well, you talk well about that hotel or, or, or that restaurant. Now, when you're not served well, what happens? The mood changes. You, you, you don't like it. You tell other people about it. Like it's, it's very significant. It's also true even at home. When someone unexpectedly serves in a family or a friendship context, it gets noticed really quickly. See, today is part four in the series. We're all in this together. And this has been a significant series because let me remind you about what this series is about and why I'm about to talk to you about service. This series is an exploration of what the Bible says that each local church must look like. So here's the question we're asking in this series together. What will Mark see for? What will C4 be actually known for? What will we not just talk about? What will we actually do together? How formed, how molded will we be as a family under the Holy Scriptures and empowered by the Spirit of Jesus? Like I said in this year's vision video, by ourselves it's hard to do big things. Together we can achieve huge things. And those things that are God's will, we can do all things together. Now I want to be part of a local church. This is what I wrote and said that is doing community biblically and is worshiping passionately and is serving radically and that is in, in a church that is giving joyfully and sacrificially, that is praying expectantly and inviting people to Jesus courageously. I do belong to a church like this, and so do you. These biblical truths are being believed on and acted on more and more. But here's the but. I am praying, and I know some of you are also, that these biblical truths consume us, like mark us. They become our true quality when people are looking and when no one is looking. I am praying that we together at C4 are not just hoping or longing or crossing our fingers, but we really become what God has invited us to become and begin to do it. Remember what we talked about in week one when we read the Holy Scriptures together? And we read Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. How each local church, no matter its stripe around the world, has to be marked by three things. Devotion and awe and action. Well, today's message is going to be firmly rooted in another category. That is of action. Not awe or devotion, but action. And here's what I want to preach on today. I want, I desire, it is my prayer, it is my commitment, that this church will be marked by serving radically. I want this church family to be marked more and more and more by authentic, humble, powerful, heartfelt, radical service. And if you want three words that describe Christian service, forget a hotel experience or a restaurant experience where things go well. 
If you want to be part of a community that is known, it is known among other churches and outside of the church community for its generosity through service, here are the three words you need to write down. Attitude, power, and gifts. Okay, we're going to have a little kindergarten moment. We're going to say this together. One, two, three, remember? One, two, three. Attitude, power, and gifts. Good. Gold star for everyone. Good. Okay. So let's start with the most significant and most radical servant in history. Every person on earth would say this of Jesus. Let us listen, whether we follow him or you don't follow him. Listen to the words of Jesus, because if there is a servant par excellence, it's him. Listen to what he said to the original group of followers and then the promise that transcends them and is given to every generation of people that follow Jesus. John 14, 12 reads like this. I tell you the truth. Now, I just want to stop there. I tell you, not a half truth, not a maybe, no, no. This is capital T truth. Anyone, not some people, not a special class of people, no. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He or she will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Here's the question this morning. We don't think about this even if you've done church for a long time. What do we really think Jesus was doing when he taught people? Or he sat with people? Or he had conversations with people? Or cast out demons from people? Or healed people? When he confronted people and he comforted people? Why and how did Jesus bring the kingdom of God, that is the reign and rule of God, into the kingdom of darkness and begin to make things right? How did the revolution begin? Why is his serving radical? Here it is. He served in a radical way because his service was selfless, God-honoring, and other-centered. And Jesus comes and says, not just to you as a person, but we together, not only here at C4, but globally to the whole church, that we have the opportunity to serve just like Jesus and do the same things as Jesus and even greater things than Jesus. So C4, I expect that this church can be marked by radical service and we can do the same things and greater things than Jesus himself did. Why? Because I'm a preacher and I'm a good storyteller? No. Because Jesus said it was possible, and Jesus isn't a liar. And Jesus, when he says something, it actually happens. This is the promise we have from Jesus himself. So the question as we get going in week four is this. Honestly, John, how is this possible? How in the world Could we do the same things or greater things than Jesus? How could an average church filled with average people doing average things become that? How in the world could we be marked by radical service? It's hard enough in our culture for anyone to serve me right in a restaurant anymore, let alone be nice to me in a hotel. I mean, you're talking about something that, that goes way beyond branding or an experience that I'm trained in. You're talking about me being a different person. Oh, yes. I am. And let us turn to the Holy Scriptures to see, to hear, to understand how this is possible and why this must be possible. Like I said, turn to Philippians 2, because here's where we're going to get going. So many people, when they talk about service in a church, start with the wrong conversation. 
They start with issues of volunteerism or the need, or they start with power or, or spiritual gifts, or what they say, what's your passion, or what's your calling, or what do you like to do? That is always the wrong place to begin when you talk about service. See, if this local church, if we together want and choose and together become a community marked by a growing experience of radical serving, it always starts, everyone ready, with you. It starts with every single person in this community making a decision that we're all willing to deal with two things we don't really want to talk about, our motives and our attitudes. If we want radical service to sweep this church more than it already has, then you cannot start with power or gift. No, no. You have to start with something which is the most dangerous thing on earth, the human heart. Because it's out of the heart we do everything. It's out of our mind that we live. And so if we are determined together to become what Jesus has promised we can and he has commanded us to become, then we have no choice to begin but to begin here. So let me break it down like this. Paul's in jail. Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. The Philippians are under persecution. They're being beat up for being Christians. It's a tough run. And in the midst of the persecution, he's telling them to be joy-filled. Interesting conversation. And then he says, stop hurting each other. I know things are bad, and when things are really bad, you tend not to serve each other, you tend to turn on each other. Stop it, because actually so much more is at stake. And so this is how he begins in chapter 2. And you can read it with me. It says, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion. Okay, let's stop right there. I want everyone to hear this this morning. Pray. Start praying you don't get distracted. Start praying that you can hear everything that's about to be said. Number one, there's no doubt in Paul's mind that this church in Philippi has experienced everything he just said. He's not saying, well, I really hope the, this is your experience. No, no. He knows this is their experience. And let me say this this morning. I know this is our church experience. And so Paul would say to us if he was here today, hey, C4, you people living in Ajax, okay, do you have any encouragement? And then he'd say this. Do you know what encouragement means? I learned this this week. One of the variants in Greek for encouragement is bedside care. So he is actually saying, have any of you had the best bedside care you've ever experienced in your life through Jesus. Every one of us sitting here and online know this. When someone's sick, I mean really sick, whether we're at home or in the hospital, whether it's mental or physical, we know that in the midst of the darkest times, one of the kindest and the most beautiful things that makes the situation bearable is real good service, bedside care. And Paul comes along and he says to each Christian and those who are checking out Christianity, don't you understand, Jesus has given us the best bedside care spiritually that could ever be given. Actually, he went beyond. He didn't meet us in the hospital bed. He met us in the morgue, took us out of the wall, raised us to life. We were still sick. And then God, Jesus in flesh, he sat there and he began to minister to us. And then he says, is, is anyone encouraged? Why? He says, well, because you're united with Christ. So C4, are you encouraged this morning? 
What did we learn all summer long? What does it mean to be united with Christ? See, you see that Paul doesn't start the serving conversation anywhere but here. He says, what is the result of you being united with Christ if you're a Christian this morning? Well, here's what he says. Don't forget any of this, everyone. You're forgiven. We're forgiven. We're not owned by Satan anymore. We're, we're, we're without blemish. We're reconciled to God. We're free from accusation. We're seated with Jesus above evil. We're called saints. We've been given grace and peace. We're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We're together elected, chosen, called for no one. Each one of us are adopted. We were not children of God. Now we are children of God. We are daughters and sons of the Most High King. We are part of a new family. And he'd say, oh, right, and we're redeemed, and we're sealed with the Spirit, and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we've been bought with a high price, and we have guaranteed eternal life, and oh right, we are his possession, and we're all equal before the cross, and we're justified, and we're dead to the law, we're crucified in Christ, we're no longer a slave to sin, we don't need to give in anymore, we're owned and slaves to Jesus, who's the best master, we're loved by Jesus, we're accepted by God, and our security is in the love of God, oh C4, is anyone encouraged, right? So, Paul says... I just want to remind everyone, as you're fighting with each other, shh, remember what God has done at your bedside, because it is unbelievable. And then he keeps going, he says, I'm not only done with that, does anyone have any comfort from the love you've experienced from heaven itself? This isn't love that comes from any other place except from God. And let's remind ourselves this morning what biblical love is versus what our culture says love is. Oh, right, it's what we read at weddings, and there's a reason, because it's the only thing that's the true evaluator. Uh, Love is patient, and love is kind, and love doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast, and it's not proud, and it doesn't dishonor others. Love isn't self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, and love doesn't delight in evil. It actually rejoices with truth. It protects and always trusts and also always hopes and always, always perseveres. So here it is, everyone. Paul comes along and says, before we talk about serving, I just want to remind all of you, whether you feel it or not this morning, Jesus has been patient with us. And Jesus has been kind towards us. And since Jesus doesn't need to envy or boast, and he hasn't ever had a problem with sinfully being proud, we can, oh right, trust him. And since Jesus never dishonors any person anywhere, ever, ever, and since Jesus isn't self-seeking, and since Jesus isn't easily angered, and oh my goodness, since Jesus has chosen not to keep any record of wrongs that all of us have done. And since Jesus is never in love with evil, but he is the truth, and since Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, are you encouraged? He says, you are united with Christ. You have been loved, and you are continually loved by Christ. And he says, oh, and the last thing I just want to talk about is this. And does anyone have any encouragement that we have actually now shared in common the same spirit? You know, our unity in this church isn't about our branding. Our unity in this church isn't about our programs or our style or chosen music. No, 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 no. That's all fine. Our unity in this church is based on something not from this church and not conjured up by us. Our unity isn't religion. Our unity isn't morals. Our unity is that we are possessed people by God himself. 
And we are unified with every Christian of every stripe globally right now too. Our unity is found in the Spirit of God who's called the Spirit of Christ. That's why Paul would write these amazing words in 1 Corinthians 12. So it is with Jesus. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave, free, we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Look at that. No politician can do that. No religious body can make that. You can't force people to like each other like this. Racism's overcome right here. Economic disparity, no problem. When you meet Jesus, we are called together, and God begins to teach us to love each other because his spirit is in us. It's like I said a few weeks ago. When you hang out with a Christian, and you don't even know them, you get that sense, you're like, mm, that's one of them. It's like the Christian, mm, yeah. You draw the Jesus fish, yes, 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 we're in, go team. Right? You know what I'm saying? You don't need a WDCX, but, you know, it's deeper. But this is the heart of our unity. And Paul says, before I ever talk to you about not only service, but radical service, let me remind you, you've been united with Christ. You've been loved by Christ. We share the same spirit. So now Paul drops the bomb and says, now let me talk to you about your attitude. If you have any tenderness or compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being of one spirit and of one mind. This is how one person said it. If God has produced mercy and tenderness towards me, that's Paul, and Paul says, and I have it back towards you, would you please have it with each other? And then he says it. You may not. You must not. And then he does something very Canadian, but very biblical. He says, I command you. You do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Never. You don't have permission anymore as a Christian to swim in these waters. They are shark-infested, and you're no longer one of the sharks. What's selfish ambition? I mean, it's easy to say it, right? But what is it? Well, you'll know if this is you as I read this description. If you cause factions in a church... If you're quarrelsome, self-seeking, self-interested, if you're argumentative, if you're cantankerous, if you're difficult, if you're irritable, and you're continually, non-stop confrontational, you have a problem with selfish ambition. And he, Paul, he comes up and he says, look, no. Well, what's vain conceit? It's empty glory. It's those who think too highly of themselves with no foundation. It's appearance with no reality. Is this you? Let me say this this morning again, nothing in my hands. Let God point it out to you because he wants you to be free of this. You can have joy and we all want you to be free of this so we can have joy too. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. These are the two things. Since 2011, Jesus has been destroying in me. There is nothing more powerful, more beautiful, more joy-fulfilling than not always living in this little cage. Because this cage isn't the cage I'm supposed to live in. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. This isn't saying you can't like yourself. Please do. But this is the declaration that we are called as a church and as a people and as a person to be marked by one virtue or quality. We are called to be people of humility. That is utter dependence on God. There is no room in the Christian life for self-sufficiency. 
Let me say this again. There is no room in the Christian life for self-sufficiency. Humility is a proper estimation of oneself and the condition we hold before God. It is asking God at this moment to remove all forms of self-deception so you really, really see from God's view what you look like. Only then will you be set free from the other two things. There's more, though. Here's the tweet moment, everyone. Radical service is grounded in humility. Without humility, there is no gas in the car. This is ground zero for all what we're going to talk about today. Since we live in 2013 in the suburbs of Toronto, we miss the power of the word humility. It's a word thrown around not only in church circles, but many others. But let me bring this home. I was reading a scholar this week, and I never caught the power of this. Listen closely, please. This is what he wrote. Humility would have been a startling word in the ears of the original audience. When they got this letter, remember, they would get the letter for the first time, and someone would stand up. They had never heard it before. Can you imagine? And this is written to this church. And Paul stands up and he says, okay, I want all of you to be humble. I want you to be filled with humility. They would have been like, you're joking me. You're like, why? We're Christians. Oh, 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 no, no. Humility in that culture was called a slave virtue. It was never a quality touted by the proud citizens of any Roman city. Greek moralists of the day viewed humility as a subservient attitude of a lower class person. It involved distasteful self-abasement. Now here's what humility means. If you're taking notes, write this down. The root word for humility literally means to level a mountain. And that gives insight why Paul chooses it. The mountain that is all-powerful chooses to be made low. The mighty gives up their throne. The tall one levels him or herself on purpose. The choice is not something that we say you must do. It is chosen by the person. Why? Because we know our master, Jesus. Humility is the description when the tall one and the mighty one and the mountainous one chooses because Jesus did it for them to make themselves low and love other people whether they're in their class or not. Do you see why I now called this radical service? And Paul comes and says, this is commanded of each and every Christian on earth. And how do you know if this humility is even active in your life? How do you know that when you're serving outside or inside church, that you're actually doing it and your heart is right? Verse 4, not looking to your own interests. Okay, stop. Why are you serving? Are you serving so people like you, so you're looked at, so you're uplifted? Then you're not serving. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of others. And then he says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus attitude is the grounding is grounded in what God has already done in us and what God is already doing through us here it is everyone just look at me for a second if you don't believe you're loved by if you don't know why you're united with Christ and you don't have a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit you will never walk in humility because you don't believe what God has already done for you but if you do know those things and they're being worked out humility will become a natural thing for you because you actually believe it's happened to you first The foundation, the key, what makes Christian service Christian, what makes Christian service radical is humility. Like I said, it's the gas in the car, it's the sun in the sky, it's the neon light at night. And if you serve for any other reason, 
with no humility. It is not Christian service. Okay, let me say this again. I don't care if you've run five years worth of ministry. If you have not done it in humility on judgment day, it's gone. Christian service is grounded in an attitude of deep humility. Humility rejects day by day selfish ambition and vain conceit. This is where our theme this year, we're all in this together, actually finds its grounding and moves from a very good and cool slogan to reality in this church. John, it's heavy, yes. Can we really do this? I mean, can we really do this? I mean, John, let's be honest. What you're saying is, is huge. It's unnatural. It goes against everything I've been taught my whole life. It goes against my natural inclinations. Even as you're saying this, I'm sort of getting a little angry. Like, this is so difficult. Yes. And if it was just up to us this morning, if I was just going to get up and say, so let's be really moral, let's all pull up our bootstraps and get really intense, and then I'd walk out the front door too. But this, this morning, isn't about programs or our staff or organization. It is about something else. It is found in the attitude we have already experienced through Jesus. And part two is this. And it comes from a power source in us that moves us and allows us to have radical service. It comes from God, not from you. If you try doing this, you're going to have an epic fail moment. But if you call upon the power of God, you'll be able to do this. So you say, well, John, okay, hold on. If we're going to do this long term, this is going to mark our church, I get, okay. So, so how do I walk in this power? Keep reading the passage. Keep reading the pa- Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Everyone get their thinking caps on. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Those five little words changed all of history. Jesus, who's being in the very nature of God, it's groundbreaking. So you have Jesus before he was born here. He has the form of God. What does that mean? It means he is God. Since there is only one God and only one being has his form, if you share the form of God, you must be God. So Paul is saying Jesus himself is equal with the Father because he is God. This isn't saying Jesus was sort of like God and then became... No, no, no. Jesus of Nazareth, who walked around for two, over 2,000 years ago, for 33 years, was our creator in flesh. And then he says, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And you go, I'm totally confused. You just said he was God and now he's not equal. I, what? Here it is. Though he is God and never stops being God, he forever has been, is at this moment, and will be. When Jesus entered into time and space to serve us, he chose, he chose to become a servant, and he chose not to use the privilege and the power he had as God. Now, every, hold on, everyone. I've gone here before, but hold on. Because if you get this, your serving life is about to radically change. Humility. He says, look, I'm God. And yet I choose to become a servant. So as he says, I'm not going to grasp. I'm not going to use the privilege of deity. I love how Eugene Peterson wrote this in the message. Because he got it. He said, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So how did he do this? Look down at your Bible, verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a slave, 
being made in human likeness and being found as the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life, died our death we deserved, was resurrected from the dead. And what was the outworking? Please, church, hear this. What is the outworking of his humility? It's us. It's our bedside care. And he says, therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. All right. So you got the whole thing here. you got Jesus before he was born, Jesus at Christmas when he was born, his death on the cross, his ascension to heaven, his unbelievable worship. And then you go, okay, hold on. I'm still missing it, John. How in the world does this tie into certain? Like, I see he was a servant, but where's the power thing? Okay. Only when you read this with the Gospels does this make sense. Everyone turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke, Luke 3. This is on podcast. You can go back and listen again. Please follow this, because this is so key for us. I preached on some of this a few years ago. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. Everyone ready? And his best, well, his cousin baptizes him. And this is what happens. Luke 3.21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was ripped open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus for two reasons. Here's the first one. He is the real deal. You have God in his fullness. God the Father's voice. God the Son is there. God the Holy Spirit. There he is, fully Trinity. But here's the second thing. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. How did he choose not to use the privilege of deity? Though he never stopped being God, he chose to only do the will of God the Father under the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't believe me? Look, look, look at Luke 4.1. Jesus now full of the Holy Spirit returned to Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Or verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he's in Nazareth, what happens? He speaks his very first sermon, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay, here's the point, everyone. This is the, this is the moment. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't cast out demons because he was God. Jesus didn't heal people because he was God. Jesus didn't teach with an authority because, no, no. He did it under the power of the Holy Spirit, though he never stopped being God. You say, well, why did he do it? Because he wanted to show us what we were going to be like. You. You. The only difference between us and Jesus is we're not God. Amen. Right, okay. Thank you. Mm, yeah, holy moment. Right. The only difference between us and Jesus is we're not God, and we don't write Scripture, and we don't run the universe. But let me declare this to you this morning. If you want to get radical service, it's this. As the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do his ministry, so the Holy Spirit empowers us to do our ministry, and we get to do the same things or greater things than Jesus. Why? Because he decided to let us have the same power source. You can't do this by programs. You got to do this by him. And so this is the radical thing. I preached this two years ago. I said to my youth pastor, well, why can't, why doesn't the church do the same things that Jesus did? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, little Johnny. That was a different time. That doesn't happen anymore. 
well, I'll just wait for heaven. No. And I was like, really? I get like, what? No, no. No, no. We get to do the same things and we get to serve radically because Jesus was demonstrating what it looked like for a human being, though he had complete equality with God, to be filled and under the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the point and the power of this. Let me go back to John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, for church, I expect to see everything that Jesus did happening in this church because he said it could be. Jesus is the pattern for us to serve radically together. Remember, what does the Bible call the local church? An organization? A court? No, no, no. We're the body of who? Say it. We're the body of Christ. We are Jesus on earth, and everything he did, we get to do, again, other than being divine and mediating the whole world and writing scripture. But this is the point. Radical service is the decision in this church that we will have the same attitude that Jesus had towards us. Radical service is produced in us, not by our own morals, but by the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. We get to walk in the same power as Jesus did. And don't be shocked. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Think about it. This is what you learned in Sunday school if you did it. You used to sing songs about this. The Holy Spirit, when he shows up, gives us the attitude we need to. For the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Does anyone want the attitude of Jesus? Uh, there it is. And who gives it to us? Me? Because I read more? No, he gives it to me. You've got to have an unbelievable relationship with the Holy Spirit if you want to see your Christian life explode and become like Jesus. The Spirit of Christ introduces us to Christ and makes us like Christ. So what we've got here is this unbelievable call for everyday, messed up, screwed up Christians suddenly to have the attitude that Jesus has to be filled with the same power, and then he's not done. And you're like, John, I'm done. Fire hose, fire hose. I'm done. I, I'm sorry. I'm almost done. So what happens next? Well, how do we not only serve, how do we serve effectively? Oh, right. We use the same gifts Jesus used. I'm sorry, say that again, John? Oh, right. We use the same gifts. Since Jesus didn't heal out of his divinity, Jesus used spiritual gifts. Have you ever thought about that? And, and what does the Bible say, if you know it? Who has spiritual gifts now? Who, say who? We do. We have the spiritual gifts now. We have the spiritual gifts. Here's the point. We have the profound attitude of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and now we are called, here it is, to use the spiritual gifts given to the church so we can see service explode in the church and outside of the church. And let me say like I preached in 2011, spiritual gifts are the only guaranteed place of power from heaven because God decides to give you what gifts he gives you. 1 Corinthians 12.4 there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each, the one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? Oh, the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Another, the message of, uh, of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. By the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still to another interpretation of tongues. 
Now, all of these are the work of the one and the same Holy Spirit. And here it is. Everyone ready? Look close. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, this isn't all the gifts. There's over 21. But the point is this. The Spirit of God, when He comes into every local church and every believer, not only gives us the attitude of Jesus and gives us the power of Jesus, He gives us the gifts that were upon Jesus to serve others. Remember, spiritual gifts aren't about you or ego or lifting. No, no, they're for the common good. And the Spirit of God says, I'm going to decide to give Fred this one. Congratulations. Okay. Like, this is what he does. And he begins to systematically give all the gifts that were upon Jesus across the whole church so we get to do the same things and greater things than Jesus did. Here's my point today. If you want this church to become a place of real power, if you want renewal and revival to sweep through this church as it has begun, If you want to see, as we're praying, for thousands of people to meet Jesus Christ, not only are we called to do community biblically, not only are we called to worship passionately and prepare ourselves for the one we're about to meet in musical and verbal worship, not only are we called to give generously and sacrificially, we are called at the core of all that to say, it is my determination that I as a Christian, because I have had the best hotel experience in the universe... I'm going to become now like Jesus with his help. So here's the call this morning as we end. Everyone ready? Churches must be gift-based, not program-based. Every program we want in the church is fine, as long as you're using your gifts. But if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then you'll serve God, but you won't serve him with utter confidence, and you won't work with utter unnatural power. Many of you Many of you think you're using spiritual gifts and they're not even spiritual gifts. So here's the point. Here's how we're going to end. Number one, if this church is committed to the mandate of Scripture and the great excitement that we get to do what Jesus did, then first of all, first of all we all make the decision, I will have the attitude of Jesus. We make the decision and we say, I want to level myself. I want to be brought down. I want to become decreased so he can increase. I make the decision that vain conceit and selfish ambition is a cancer in a church and a cancer in my life and a cancer in my family. It is a cancer. It's from the devil and it's from the world and it's from the flesh and I want nothing to do with it. And you pray the prayer, oh God, come and do surgery till I'm different. It is the declaration of a church where we go, oh, how we want to reflect the one who has loved us at any cost. The second thing is we begin to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one that introduced us to Jesus. He's the one that prays perfect prayers for us. He's never tainted by sin, and we need him in our life, and we want him in our life. And though we're possessed by him and baptized in him, we need to be filled with him time and time again. When is the last time you've said, Oh, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, if I am not walking in your power, tell me. Because if you ask, guess what's going to happen? He will tell you. It is the declaration we want, the attitude of Christ. It is walking in an unnatural power that every time we feel we cannot serve or our motives are wrong, at that moment, out loud or in our hearts, we go, Holy Spirit, give me power I do not have. Make me a person that I am not. 
And then it is finding out our spiritual gifts, finding them out, understanding them, and beginning to use them in any context you find yourself. In 2011, we did a whole series on spiritual gifts that, in my opinion, changed the trajectory of this church. And I want to encourage you, if you've joined us since 2011, go back and listen to that on our web. If you have heard the series, but you didn't follow up, go follow up. If this church is going to be marked by radical service, every person in this church must find out their gifts, purify their gifts, begin to use them in any context God puts you. Whether you're serving outside or inside, gift-based ministry is the guaranteed place where we get to do what Jesus did. Because he ordained it why our core value is this. We value shared ministry in this church. We believe that every Christ follower is called to impact those around them in and outside of the church through loving, joy-filled, gift-based service. I want to do this, and I want to do it before the band comes up because it's going to involve them. We're about to sign up, many of us, into connect groups, which is great. And there are many, many, many connect group leaders that are here. If you're a connect group leader, would you please stand? Uh, If you're online and you're a connect group, you stand up in the go train right now. No, seriously. Don't stand in the plane if there's something else going on, okay? Keep the seatbelt on, okay? If you are a connect group leader with children's ministry, young adults, anywhere, please stand. Like right across our church, if you run a small group experience, okay? I want to say something to all of you today. This is your mandate. This is what Jesus calls you to do. I want to say this, if you serve in any way in our church, if you serve Jesus outside of our church in another organization or another place, would you also please stand? You serve, you could be usher, greeter, kids worker, alpha, awana, you serve in a food bank, you serve in another church, you serve at a Bible call, like anywhere. Okay. Now, first of all, you should be encouraged. Look around. It's good news. I want to say, I'm standing, by the way, too. Friends, We have no choice but this. If any of us this year serve out of anything other than this, it will not last for eternity. So we have to make a decision at this moment, and for the rest of you too, an invitation to serve, of course, is that we make the decision as we're commissioned out today that this will become what we ask Jesus to do in us so we can do this right. So if you're willing, I'd love you to pray this with me, realizing the significance of this prayer, and all of you standing online, wherever you are, You can do this too. So let's pray. It is our commitment, Jesus, that we're in this together because you brought us together. But honestly, as we stand here or sit, this is unbelievably significant. And many of us are starting to realize at this moment that many of us have not served out of a Christian place. So first of all, we need to say, forgive us, O Lord, our sin for stealing your glory or serving for any other reason. Lord, forget, like, forgive us. And here's what we now ask. Right across our church, Lord, we commit to have the attitude of Jesus. That we would humble ourselves and we would abandon vain conceit and selfish ambition. And we are asking as a group right now that you would convict us. Holy Spirit, we're inviting this. At any moment where we go there, you say you're going there. Give us humility that is unnatural in this church. Lord, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to now fall upon all of C4 Church. Children, teens, tweens, young adults, adults, seniors, all of us. Holy Spirit, come. May the power that rested on Jesus 
Rest on us. We pray that this year more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We want to be marked as people of humility. We want to walk in authority, but we want to walk in humble authority. And lastly, we pray that you would use the gifts you've given us. Oh, Lord, we give our gifts back to you. They're not ours, they're yours. Lord, for many of us who don't know our gifts, reveal them this year so we can start walking with you. For others of us who have been, been told in the last two years what our gifts are, but we've been afraid to use them because we're scared, Lord, forgive us and give us power and humility to use them. Lord, give us the character to handle the gifts you're giving this church. And our last prayer is this, as we go and we do community and we sign up, is this, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, make us like you. Help us to be a church that gives the best bedside care through humility. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, God, who's begun and continues to do a new work. Last personal prayer, Jesus, don't relent. You keep coming at this church and keep going at us until we are what we are supposed to be. We are wanting renewal. We want revival and we want awakening. Nothing less is what we pray. Amen.